Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Dairy Digressions, the new podcast of the American Dairy Science Association, the Journal of Dairy Science, and JDS Communications. I am Matt Lucy, Editor-in-Chief of JDS Communications, and I'll be your host. I'm coming to you from the 2023 Annual Meeting of ADSA in Ottawa, Canada. This global gathering of dairy scientists convenes every year and brings together the top minds in the industry. For these special episodes, I'll be sitting down with the experts who are attending the meeting to get their thoughts on the meeting, the sessions, and exciting new developments in dairy. If you enjoy Dairy Digressions or have any feedback for us, please let us know at ADSA at ADSA.org. Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on whatever platform you are listening on and spread the word to a friend or colleague. And now, Let's get to the meeting. Today, we have with us my very favorite geneticist. Can I say that? Now I've alienated all the geneticists. Filippo Migliar, hailing from Milan, Italy. And Filippo did his undergraduate education, earning his laureate degree in animal science from the University of Milan, and then subsequently moved to the University of Guelph to receive his PhD in 1994 in animal Breeding. And apparently, you spent a short time back in Italy, an RD director of the Italian Holstein Association, before moving back to Canada, taking a position as a research scientist with Agriculture and Food in Canada. And during that time, you became an adjunct professor at the University of Guelph. And he told me that adjunct professorship allows you to have students, maybe teach some classes. You teach some classes there. Lead research, most research and mentoring grad student. Ah. Training and mentoring. Training and what? Mentoring. Mentoring. Of course, uh, Italy is uh, famous. Now, I don't know Milan. Milan, I know, I'm going to know the Parma region, but I don't know. Are there many? Milan is kind of up north, but that's not in Parma. No. Gorgonzola cheese. Oh, see, I knew there was something there. Anyways. So he returned, he became Chief Research and Strategic Development at the Canadian Dairy Network, Network in 2013. And uh, I guess you were there till 2019 before taking a position with Ontario Genomics, okay? And then I believe in somewhere around 2020, well, you, you joined Lactinet as a Senior Advisor, Genetic Strategic Initiatives, and I believe Lactinet came from the CDN, is that correct? CDN and DHI. So okay, so those two things, yes, and you you said that Lactinet in Canada is, is like combining DHI and CDCB correct. in America, America for Americans. Very good. Stick them together. Yeah. And that gives you Lactinet. Yes. And so you've been with Lactinet since, I believe. Yes. Of course, we know you as a renowned scientist and geneticist training many students, receiving the ADSA Lush Award in 2014, president of the EAAP, past senior uh, section editor for the Journal of Dairy Science, editor-in-chief for the Canadian Journal of Animal Science, writing extensively, and our latest member of the JDS Club 100, which means you have published 100 papers in either the Journal of Dairy Science or JDSC, which is a lot of work. Have you ever had a hard review in your entire life? Very much so, from the very first paper that 
was published on JDS, which was barely rejected, almost rejected. Your first paper. paper. They tried to stop you there, go back to Italy and stay there. And my advisor said, don't take it personally. Ah, good advice, right? Perfect advice. They only want you to improve your paper. And that's it. Yeah, and as a a recent member, you know, I, I do, I will echo that. You know, you need to publish, you need to go through peer review to improve your science, right? That's Correct. one of the ways. Correct. And you're going to get some papers rejected and you're going to get busted up. But if you never go through that process, yes. your science never yes. gets better. You have to figure out what other people see about your science, you know? Yes. And, and I review a lot of papers too. You review papers too? Yeah, of course. And I, everybody, please review papers because that's what we need. Right? Yeah, we do need. <laughs> we need people to go out there and, and spend the time in peer review and do that, you know, and just keep our institutions strong. So for the Lactinet, now we're going to get into your research program in depth a little bit later, but it says you're a senior advisor, genetic, strategic genetic initiatives or something like that. Does that mean you do secret stuff? Are you trying to out, out, you know, maneuver the Americans so the CMAX semen comes into America? How does that work? Well, Are you trying to be smarter than the, I don't know John Cole or what is it? What is it? How does that work? Let's just say a few things here. First of all, CMAX semen already comes to US in, in plenty, which is great. <laughs> uh, it goes on in many other countries. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, my my role is really to uh, anticipate the needs of the industry right. and uh, trying to foresee these things that come up in the next few years so whatever we use today is because research money that we invested 10 years ago yeah and we're going to talk about that in a second yeah. uh, so i love i'm good at that just trying to meet those uh, unmet needs of the industry who call who calls you up and says when are you gonna who are they farmers are they industry professionals all of the above politicians i i don't get any calls thank god uh, <laughs> you get emails but uh, you know i'm i'm still a scientist a strategic scientist whatever yeah. you call it so to me it's like look what's going around and mm-hmm. what can be helpful for the Canadian industry and mm-hmm. have an impact. I always work on applied research. Yes. So I never like to do any too much of academic stuff. Right, uh, right. Just thought, let's have an impact. Yeah. Is this, this going to benefit overall? Yeah, the, the industry, the producer, and possibly the society, which a new group of studies we're doing that's with impact as well. So that's interesting because when you see you at the the meeting, you know, you know, you're Italian and, you know, when you look at you, you probably think, well, he must be like a, a math guy or something. You come up, but then you're so personable. I guess it makes sense that you enjoy sort of the more applied side of the equation. And that's kind of where you're, you're at is the more applied side. How can we make this all work? Yes. I always love to see something that I know will be used. And I've been lucky or, or I guess uh, strategic that any work I've done has always been being implemented by the industry. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it's really true. Now, so let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Canada, I think it's got 1.6 million cows. Okay. Yeah. But most, you know, people don't realize that but probably most of those cows are in Quebec and Ontario. Okay. I think fair enough. Lots of dairy cows across Canada, but there's a lot of cows in Quebec, which I didn't realize. And yes. you serve you serve all of Canada, yes. not just the English speaking parts. I feel, and you've got this quota system. Now, do you feel? And of course, the quota system is a concept that a dairyman must uh, essentially purchase the the right to to produce a certain amount of milk, and quota has value. And if you want to produce more milk, you need to buy more quota, and and that's a different system than we have in America. So. One of the things I will say, being a 
somewhat frequent speaker in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenal place to go speak. It's a phenomenal place to meet with veterinarians and producers because I think the the average herd size is smaller. Yes. Because as you know, with the quota system, but I don't know if all our listeners understand this, you know, you have to buy the right to produce milk, but then the government controls the price of milk to a certain extent to make sure that you're, you're going to be able to run a business yes, successfully. Yes. And so you the, the farms are smaller, a lot of robotic dairies, a lot of technology. It's a really fun place to speak and to meet people. Yeah, you, know? you, you said it earlier, right? 50% of our farms are in Quebec. Yeah. And, uh, and most of these farms would tend to be family-run farms. So yeah. with a, a probably average size around 60 to 90 cows per, yeah. per farm. As you move to Ontario, the size gets a little bit bigger, but also a lot of family farms there. And as you move west, those tends to be larger farms yeah. or freestall, uh, more robots moving yeah. along. Because, of course, difficult when it's not a family farm. Getting uh, people to work in the farm is difficult. So lots of robots, for example, in Manitoba, in the prairies, yeah. almost 25% of the farms there are right. the robot herds. So it's really very successful. So it's a more, you know, we don't have these massive farms mm-hmm. that you guys have down in, for example, in, in California and so on. Yeah. So allow us to to maintain a more, you know, kind of that passion of the producer closer to the cow and so on. And it's uh, really nice to see, you know, I was on farms in the Fraser Valley, for yeah. example, or or some and in Ontario. I remember, I never forget the farms in the Fraser Valley in BC. Shout out to our UBC people, right? <laughs> and uh Hi, Nina. Hi, Dan. You know, they <laughs> shout out to our UBC people. And I remember some of these farms, they had robots, they ran robots. They also had robotic feeders, a Lely uh, cafeteria system. But boy, it's a different, it's a different thing. You know, it's it, it's a different feel. Yes. You know, it's a different feel on those farms. Yeah. And allow us to have a non-competitive environment. So like Lactanet is a DHI plus mm-hmm. things, and mm-hmm. we don't have any competitors. So we is a not-for-profit company. And, yeah. uh, and we serve the farmers. We do field services. We do collect milk recording and so on. Yeah. And we do also traceability yeah. from the government. And then we do genetic evaluation. So it's a very cohesive industry mm-hmm. that uh, work out very well for us. Yeah, fantastic industry and something to be very proud of. Now, what percentage of your farms are on test? We call it test. Yeah, so we'll be, let's make this clear, this unfortunately went down in the last few years. Okay. Because, you know, producer invest in certain technologies, say what is the added value to still be a member of DHI? Mm-hmm. Some are still seeing the benefit. Yeah. Good, and we're probably around between 60 and 65% of okay. the farmers in DHI. As we are moving closer to work together with, uh, for example, the Early Farmers of Canada, which represent all producers, yeah. we're trying to serve also those non-members, like because especially with genomics, you mm-hmm. can do that, right? If you mm-hmm. do genomic testing mm-hmm. and we do an evaluation, so yeah. they're working on those type of area as well. So that even if you're not in DHI, we could still you can still benefit from our services. So that's interesting. You bring up genomics. Okay, PhD 1994. I think the human genome sequence came out in 1993, as I remember, uh, somewhere in there, right? Let's be careful with these statements. <laughs> right, right. You've seen it all the way from benchtop sequencing, right? In one lane at a time in the lab, DNA sequencing, reading one short read at a time to where we are today, where I don't know if it's true or not. I read it in Horde's Dairyman. Thank you, Horde's. But is it true that the dairy cow is second only to people in terms of the amount of genomic testing, genetic tests? Is that true? Oh, that's heard- a good statement. I believe that's probably, probably close true, to reality. Right? Probably true. 
What do you think about all that? Going from no from DNA sequencing, 200 bases at a time to where we are today. Anything that just, it's, any advice for these people that are probably going to face? Yeah, genomics has revolutionized the industry, right? Right now, we, and we share the genome between US, Canada, UK, Italy. And these are close to over 7 million animal genotype. Among yeah. all these, of course, with the largest parts coming from US. And the amount of information that we have and we can use and we are exploiting that information is amazing. So you have, you know, one thing is knowing just as a black box, what is the genetic work for this animal? One thing is when you start dissecting, opening the black box yeah. and seeing all the potential. So the next steps will be looking at closer to your expertise. So what are the physiological pathways? What are the metabolic, metabolomics path? Whatever. So that can we can get closer to causal variants and causal things so that but for now, it's working very well. So the genomics yeah. for us. No, it's fantastic. And I think that's one thing I would say to young people is that, and I'm, I imagine you would agree with this, you know, if you want to be in the game, you got to be able to handle big data. Yes. Okay. So, and you can do it with an Excel file. Okay. You need to learn how to like real people handle real data, right? Yeah. And we have artificial intelligence that is starting to help in us, right? Right. Our uh, latest product, which is we're using milk uh, spectral data to predict yeah. meta. We've been doing using an artificial neural network approach, which allows us better prediction accuracy, and we've been successful. So, and we haven't gonna have so much data, we cannot handle anymore, right. or even seeing patterns in the data. So yeah. we need to have this type of technology for sure. And but you know, so we talked about that yesterday. Well, I was talking about that with uh, somebody. Here we go. Now you say AI, and and now I think the world thinks art. No more artificial exactly. insemination. They stole <laughs> it. They co-opted. You know, I'm gonna go to my farm and do AI, and they yes. like. Well, what do you mean, yes. breed a cow or uh, what? What are you yeah. doing there? You know. I was just talking at lunch with George Dick, which is a yeah. producer from BC, who's gonna talk tomorrow. Oh, fantastic! You're gonna enjoy it. Yeah. It's part of our symposium tomorrow, and we're talking about that. You know, it's just also overwhelmed by the data that yeah. is getting. Say. Sooner or later, it's going to have an AI in, within the farm to manage those, those animals and making decisions based on pattern we cannot see anymore. Right. You know, right. And, uh, even for us, maybe they're small, but when you accumulate the type of data, it's yeah. it, it, we see it on uh, 3 billion data points. Oof. And we're starting using that data. You know, can we use the data together with the processor? Right? Yeah, and, right. You know, so all these type of potential data are out there with this amount of data. Again, for our young people listening, we hope if you enjoy math, if you enjoy science, if you enjoy biology, if you enjoy data, this is an area yes. and you can go into dairy and you can have a career that will be exciting and will make a difference. Yeah. You know, I, and there's I, no question. And I am a city boy. I grew up in downtown Milan. Oh, well. And I know whatsoever link to, to dairy farming. Yeah, yeah. But And then I went to, to my professor in genetics and mm -hmm. said, hey, I want to do the thesis here. He looked at me. I didn't have a big muscle, but, you know, my thesis was to go and weigh cows before summer pasture right. in the Italian Alps. And then yeah. after the summer pasture. And then you get so much affection to this to this industry right. because it's a great industry great people right and and then the science below yeah is just so i have so much impact and let's talk about we're not doing any manipulation of genes here we're talking about oh, selective breeding so oh, we are only okay. use genomic to identify with more accuracy who are the best so uh, since, animals since we're digressing we're going to digress let's now digress. this is dairy digressions first thing are you ready? Yeah. Big data. Yes. Okay. 
And the first roadblock to big data is getting all this data into a format. We can use it. All the data coming off the collars or off the robots. And you got DLaval robots and Lele robots and SCR collars. Does your organization lack the net? Do you have contracts with those companies to get their data? How does that all going to work in the future? So there is a, you know, an initiative which is called IDEN, I-D-D-E-N.org, mm-hmm. which pretty much groups seven founders and one is Latinate, I think there is US as well, mm-hmm. and then other Europeans. And the objective is to have one common interface with the manufacturer. Okay. So the Lely, the De Laval, or the Alflex, whatever. Yeah. So that say, let's have one standard so to get this data and possibly it's sharing the data as well. Yeah. So that is just started, but we have lots of confidence that will really help us as an organization. We'll have the producer. Right. You know, we get this producer that buy a lot of this new mm-hmm, technology. Mm-hmm. We say some are gadgets mm-hmm. and so on, but some are very useful. You know, activity monitor, mm-hmm. you're very aware, of course, mm-hmm. all this type of thing. Can we use that even more yeah. to benefit? At the end, we want to make the, our dairy farming more profitable, more efficient, more environmental efficiency. Right. And I, I know I used to consult with D. Laval and I used to look at a lot of robot data and the amount of data that comes it, off a robot it ain't just milk production, no, okay? No. It's a lot of data that comes off robots, you know? And you, it's like you said, you need to use the artificial intelligence yes, to yes. do it. I think, you know, we were at editors meeting yesterday. Everybody's worked up about chat GPT and computers yeah. writing text. And, okay, but let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Yes. I mean, artific- you know, okay, there are aspects of it that are tricky yes. and we have to navigate, but there's other parts of it we need. Yes. You and know, we're we using need. also. We need, device, yeah. So. Yeah, we, yeah. And so it's it's important. We, we're not going to digress very long on this, but humans editing the genome of a cow. Okay, mm-hmm. so I know this is a hard one and you can't probably say, but do you see that as something that your organization, you're probably looking at it, but do you see it as in the future for your organization? Yeah, so let's say a few things here. So, G, uh, you know, it's the fact that we only work from selective breed. So it's, it's we don't manipulate any genes. What are the potential genes? The problem in animal science, there's always been there been a double standard between animal science and plant science. Right. In which somehow the plant have been allowed to do gym, genetic yeah. modification. Yeah. And, and, you know, they've been ostracized now from Europe and so on, but they've been used. Like we, we, we have fun, fun, uh, lots of crops that mm-hmm. have been GMO. Mm-hmm. And the animal has always been a double standard. So there is it's somehow the animal is closer to our. You know, it is. It's uh, a well, mammal, right? It's a mammal. So yeah. we think, well, what do we do about? It? So I think it's a technology that can change many things. Yeah. Are we ready for it? Let's see. I, yeah. And and is in. We'll be interested to see when uh, when that technology will be if approved. Yeah. Uh, fully, not just uh, mm-hmm. on a temporary basis, and what uh, we create. I know that I was just in Parma, where there is the European Food Security Agency, mm-hmm. and they're they have to start looking at those things because mm-hmm. the, the industry are pushing for this type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, they, yeah. so we, as, as always, I would say, let's see how it goes, but the monitor and let's yes. understand that everything goes well. There are no side effect, no side yeah. uh, impact on other things. Right? It's also you, you you set that against the backdrop. Well, there's two things that you set it against the backdrop. You know, first of all, we make tremendous progress with just traditional yes. breeding and genomics. So things are moving fast right yes. now. I would I would put that out there. And the second thing you kind of put it against the backdrop is that, you know, there's probably some low hanging fruit in terms of genetic modifications you can make. But the vast majority of the traits we work with are, quanti- you know, multi quantitative traits and yes. multi loci and. Yes. And it just gets a little bit tedious to try to 
you know, do all this stuff. And and then, of course, you just don't know what will come in terms of markets and stuff if all of a sudden your cows are modified and this other nation's cows are not and yes. consumers. So it gets it gets a little so more on that later. Probably not ready to talk about that today. Right. So the the uh, the uh, I was quite diplomatic. One. Yeah, you were very good. So I'm an old Monsanto guy. This is the nation that wouldn't purchase bovine somatotrope, and I won't bring that up. Uh, I won't I won't say anything about that, okay? But the uh, back in the day on Monsanto, uh, bovine somatotrope in you know, Canada really yeah, held the line on it. Their yeah. producers were not allowed to use it. Their yeah. consumers didn't want it, yeah. and you guys held the line, and for us, it was a very good product, but in the end, it's not used in America either. Yeah. And so uh, at this point in time, fair enough. So the local dairy scene, I think you touched upon it. What are they looking for? What are your constituents looking for in 2023? Yeah. So this year, we were the first in the world to launch our genomic evaluation for methane efficiency. Which no. Are- Really? Yes. You stole that from the Americans, didn't you? I've been pushed for the Americans who work on this for 10 years. I all my research has always been open. I've never done anything secret. Yeah. And and this very much applies. So we 10 you years ago. You got an evaluation from methane? Yes. yes. I April. missed completely missed it. That's okay. We are here for that to oh. educate people, including it, yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why we do dairy digressions. Exactly. You gotta tell me about that. So, it's a trait. Yeah, it's a trait. To, that allows the producer to reduce methane production without yeah. affecting meat production rates. Right. Because obviously you probably know that uh, methane production is unfavorable correlated with fat eating in particular. Right. So you have to be careful if we want to select for one not to affect the other. And yeah. we, we have been able to do a reading evaluation that allows to decrease methane production, but genetically independent from fat protein and milk. Oil. For our listeners, this is just incredibly important, right? So sometimes... So there, sometimes you, you have a trait, which sounds really great. Yeah. So, for example, a heat tolerance. Okay, yeah. heat tolerance sounds great. Okay, yeah. but, you know, we saw today in the session, and yeah. it's well known that if you sell select dairy cows for that are heat tolerant, they're, you're also selecting for low production yes. dairy cows, which makes sense, yeah. right? And I'm not sure how, I know the Australians and Jenny Price is a good friend of the program, and I know they have their yeah. heat tolerant thing, and I'm not sure how they handle that and there and maybe they've found a workaround for that i don't know but you know heat tolerance is an example where you know you select i can give you a heat tolerant cow just give me the worst cow in your barn she's probably gonna be pretty heat tolerant you know and so but now this what you're telling me is you were able to figure out you were able to design genetic evaluation for methane production without impacting Milk milk production okay so first of all that's almost impossible. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, because you need genotypes, which is easy, but you need phenotypes. Good. Where did the phenotypes come from? So back in 2012, you know, I went to a thesis defense. I was an external for a PhD defense. After 2008, this one in Belgium, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Nicholas Gengler group, and was working on mixed spectral data, which is, you know, it's this data coming out of our spectrometer from yeah. where, where you send your 50 milliliters of milk to measure fat and protein percentage. Yeah. And by doing that, it, it creates a new phenotype, mm-hmm. which is based on absorbance of this spectrometer. And Dr. Nicholas Gengler's team showed that you can use this phenotype to predict other traits. Fatty acid was one, right. and then BHP, which are right. a, a indication of a subclinical ketosis, mm-hmm. and all other series of traits. Mm-hmm. And I, I went back to Canada and said, guys, this is something we need to, to start collecting data right. because 
So this false machine, they create this, this data, right. but doesn't save it. So you need it to save it and store it. Yeah. And so we start creating the pipeline yeah. starting 2012, 2013. And in 2018, that's when we had pretty much 90% of our milk recording animal, this data for those, those cows. So that created this historical database, which I knew was going to be helpful sooner or later. So this was investment in money, by the way. This was research money from the industry. Right. And at the same time, we had a series of other projects, the Efficient Dairy Genome Project, which is funded by, was funded by Genome Canada, which right. I led right. uh, for the first three years. And it uh, was about the phenotypes. You, right. see, you know, those are expensive phenotypes. So yeah. we say, okay, US, Canada, Denmark, Australia, and uh, Switzerland, let's put this data together from researchers uh, and we can use them for genomics. Now, genomics allow us to, you don't, know, you don't need to measure this data across 10,000 herds. You can just measure in a selected, you know, a selected mm -hmm. group of herds. Mm -hmm. So we put this data together, and the outcome of that project was that we were able to do feed efficiency evaluation mm. in the US, mm. in Canada, in, in Australia, mm. in Denmark, and so on. So allow us to use that reference population, mm -hmm. because you can imagine measuring feed intake on a cow can cost between $500 and $2,000 per cow. Right. So those are very expensive. But we also started collecting uh, methane emission, in particular in University of Guelph, University uh, of, uh, of Alberta. And we started collecting this data and matching them with the mixed spectra data. Oh, now, brilliant, right? And using the mixed spectra data, we can have a prediction of methane production. Yeah. Now, let's make this clear. There is no methane in the milk. So it right, just, right, right, right. But yeah. just based on the fatty acid yes. composition, you can have a good accuracy wow. uh, prediction, good accurate prediction yeah. of and so we have been able to do that and it was quite accurate. And we say, well, let's let's do it. And we work together with CMAX in the last year exactly to do to accelerate this. Yes. Because we that's the thing. We need to start. We need to start decrease methane emission. So, we are not yeah. the first, definitely we're not the first corporate guilty of this because in right. dairy we represent only one to 1.5 percent right. of GAG emission in yeah. Canada and yeah. maybe it will be very similar but can we help yeah so why not yeah this is a this is a great story and you touched upon so many important things and you talked about the spectral analysis yeah. the FOSS analyzers and I don't think people well you you knew it and I learned it later but that you know you send in your milk sample for FOSS and they're only it's, it's analyzed on a spectrophotometer which means they collect data across a th probably a thousand wavelengths yeah, thousand wavelengths, but they only use a few wavelengths for fat and protein, yeah. and all the other data just sits there. But then, and then, but FOSS, and I think they're the only manufacturers of those, or maybe some. No, but, there are other, there are. but they're the main ones. Yeah, and they just were they were dumping all that other data, and then you had to just say, hey, instead of dumping it, can yes. we capture that yes. data? And people said, wow, there's a, you know, there's a tremendous amount of information there. Yes. And then to be clever enough to just basically say, okay, well, let's let's get some hard data on methane, but then let's try to correlate it with these analyzers because then you can use the milk analysis. Yes. And then you got cajillion cows yes, that you exactly. can phenotype for, for methane. Yes. And then develop this, I never know right words. It's a trait. Is it a trait? What do you, what do you call it? It's what a proxy, you... I would say. It's a, I always call it. A, a genomic evaluation for methane efficiency, which is based yeah. on milk predicted methane. Milk predicted methane. It's not methane. methane, it's milk predicted methane. So you have this milk predicted methane. Yes. Okay. And again, you you guys are smart enough to know that we can't introduce a trait that's going to knock this knot out of yeah. our because you you asked, we talked about methane yesterday with 
Jeff Ferkins and he said, yeah, I got an easy way to reduce methane, um, make a higher production cow. That's what he said, right? You can have a higher production cow and your amount of methane per milk produce goes down because a big, huge, high producing cow is more efficient than two little low producing cows in terms of methane. But you, what you're telling me is you were able through genetics, you actually have a cow that uh, is more efficient in terms of her production of methane. But then what, what have you done to that? And this is the problem with eugenesis. I'll tell you right now, you do the stuff for the cow. You don't know what's going on. You must, are you collaborating with the nutritionist to say, hey, are these, are these elite cows? Is their rumen different in some manner? Are they, what is different about them? You touch many important points. So, First of all, that, you know, rumen. Let's rumen. Make clear. That's... The, the methane is created by the, the, the rumen microbiome. Right, right. But also, we also know that the host, the cow, controls yeah. in large part of that microbiome. Yeah. You know very well there has been study in which they emptied the microbiome yeah. of the cow, put the new microbiome, but after a month, they, they revert back to the You region. know more biology than most geneticists. Look, yeah. at, now I'm in trouble. Now they're all going to be calling gonna, in. And they're going to redo this test again. <laughs> I know that. I heard about they're going to redo it again. Redo the test away. where they took the yeah, microbiome. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and, uh, and, and that's important, but we know it's easier for us to work on the host, on the microbiome. For sure. Because it's also less invasive. Microbiome, you have to, you know, put yeah, yeah. things to get the, the, the rumen liquid and so on. So anyway, not doesn't work very well. I know some countries are doing that, but we decided just to go on the cow. Yeah. And we can tell you that this methane efficiency is a new trait mm-hmm. once it's been corrected for production. So right. it's really not related to any other traits. And we evaluate over 100 traits in that yeah. portfolio. Okay. Yeah. And there is no unfavorable or even significant correlation with any other trait. Okay. So the, one of the great things of selective breeding, as long as you monitor and collect data on health, on fertility, on production, mm-hmm. on longevity, on other feed efficiency, for example, mm-hmm. you're going to change some of this correlation among those traits yeah. in a way that you want. Because at the end, you're going to choose a bull yeah. that produce a lot, that it produce less yeah. methane, that is more longevity, that is yeah. more fertile, Boy, talk about the doctors, of course, and yeah. uh, and uh, more healthy. Yeah. But bit by bit, you move the genetic structure of the population yeah. in, in a natural way, right? not in an immediate, you know, modified genome way. As uh, Filippo said, I mean, it's, it's an excellent understanding of the biology of the entire situation. The biology of the entire situation is a host to a certain extent dictates the yes. composition of microbiome. We learn that. And furthermore, that it's almost, it's very difficult to through. Okay, now the probiotic people are going to get mad at me, but if you're going to do probiotics to move the microbiome in the room and they got to get the probiotics Let's talk about daily. That. No, <laughs> we're not. We let's can't talk, talk about everything. No, no, but because it's important because I, I always say genetic doesn't work on its own. You okay. always need genetic can express if you have a good management, right? Yeah. It's, if, I always say it's like a Ferrari. I have a beautiful Ferrari, but... Is that an Italian car? If, 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 if Matt drives, it's not going to be good. If Filippo drives, you know... It's, it's going to be awesome, right? <laughs> no, but you need the right you need the right driver, the right manager, right? So, yeah. And the genetics is, works well in those in those farms that they use the right. You, yeah. know, you can have fabulous genetics, but if the producer is not good, it yeah. doesn't do a good job. It's not that genetics is not expressed. Right. You're not going to solve fertility problem with genetics. You're yeah. going to solve it with genetics. And management. Mm-hmm. The nutrition is very important in this aspect. So mm-hmm. our new genome kernel proposal is looking both at nutrition strategies, genetic mitigation strategies for reducing methane, and the interaction between the two. Yeah. Because I talked about microbiome, but another important aspect that 
really modify the, that microbiome is the feeding system, yeah, right? So, right. So that's important to be able. We know there has been a lot of launch of, and I have to be careful here, but you know, of uh, additives. Yes. Uh, that are not allowed in Canada, by the way. They're, They're not? not approved in Canada. No. Okay. And they say, oh, you know, you get this amount of the reduction. It's not. And that's great. But mm. in our project, we decided not to work with this additive, mm-hmm. but just to work with natural feeding system. We have, mm-hmm. you know, Canada. We have, <laughs> it's a massive country with different from, uh, from BC all the way to Atlantic Canada with different feeding systems. It is a big country. It is a, so we can find what is the, the best. And we, we estimate that we can reduce methane emission without additives by 2050, just with uh, nutrition strategies only by 40%. Is that right? If we add genetics, genetics will do 20 to 30% by 2050. Mm-hmm. The good things are not, there is some overlap, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we believe we can reduce methane emission by 50%. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Through science. Through science. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everybody got that? Yeah. Just science, that. science, science matters. Yeah. And That's I, how you solve problems. I add another important aspect. Everybody know that. <laughs> another important aspect is mixed petrol data, not just individual anymore, but now we're thinking about using milk bulk test. A mud test? The bulk milk, you know, you know, the one that the big silver the thing. The big silver thing. <laughs> yeah. Where each producer it put their milk. Yeah. And the, the, the truck comes and pick it up. Yeah. And based on that milk sample analysis, they are paid, right? On milk pressure, fat, and protein percentages. Yeah that we can use possibly that data to also quantify methane emission as well. On a farm level. Not now, but that's what we're working on. Yeah. By doing so, all at once, you're able to access not just the, your, yeah. your DHI members, but also those, any other, any, uh, any yeah. other dairy producer, because they're doing that, because they need that for milk payment, right? Right, so, yeah, they have to have a test. So that will be a, a really big change, and we will allow to quantify and to benchmark anonymously, of course. Right. We will never publish this. But we are the farms that are low-emitting farms. Right. We are the farms that high-emitting farms. What is low-emitting farms yeah. are doing? What type of feeding system they're using? What yeah. type of genetics they're using? Oh, we can teach. We can transfer that knowledge to right. us and push those other low, higher-emitting farms to do better. And I think this is so important. And I think maybe somebody out there in podcast land will listen and understand that, you know, we, the dairy industry... You know, we're not running away from methane. We're not denying methane. We are actively in making solid progress. I mean, 50% reduction, okay, in methane emissions, you know, and I always, I teach dairy science and always tell the kids, yeah, everybody complains about methane from cows, but there's actually more methane leaking out of gas wells because these guys don't tighten up their nuts and bolts, you know. In our kitchen. Yeah, there's the gas, the gas cook, cook stove. Yeah, and so there's there's other ways to reduce methane, and we all got to work together on this. We can't beat each other up. And methane reduction, enteric methane, and of course, as you know, in America, the greenhouse gas, the greenhouse capturing the methane uh, biofuels. You yeah. know that that is moving. Yeah. The needle is moving on that. Now you need a very very big dairy. 3,000 cows to make one of those things work. But but nonetheless, you know, if we all work on this thing, you know, we can make progress. And, and again, I just emphasize that progress is made not by running your mouth. Progress is made by working, yes. you know, and doing science and figuring stuff out and, yes. and having ideas. And that's how you make progress, yes. you know, and, and it's, and it's and it true, right? It and takes it time. takes time, you know. You, but, you, you're not going to have something to say, hey. Well, I guess you have with some yeah. it's a fifty percent reduction, but you know we need to see what is the impact right. in the long term to That's, the cow and to the farm and so. On. Yeah, but this improvement needs to be incremental, continuous, 
permanent and so on. That's yeah, because we we care, you know. Works to us, right? We care, right? Yeah, we care. Food. I mean, and so two questions: Who owns the trade? Okay, is it confidential? Are you are you sharing it globally? Or are you trying to figure out how you're going to share it globally? Who owns the technology? Okay, so is this is a, a we haven't invented anything yet. So we're doing something that has been published uh, since 2012. The, the Belgium were the one publishing. We can predict methane emission using MILSPETRA data. So, and this MILSPETRA data needs to be standardized, needs uh -huh. to be treated in a statistical way to, yeah. in order to clean up the, the noise and so on. But you, they need to be, you know, in on a common scale and variance, right? right? So you cannot say, oh, let's take the prediction the Canada did and use it to yes. That's not going to work because right. they're different. Also, in your case, you use also other, other companies, not just false, other Bentley and so on. So this data, uh, what we can do is, this is the way we're done, and we're published, as you mm -hmm. know, a paper okay. in the things. There is nothing secret about what we've done. Okay. It's all published on, on a previous, right. basing previous paper. It's already been published in 2022 in JDS. So there is nothing secret. We, we are just, you, we you, just but, but, but if a country were to pick it up, they would need to validate it with their yeah, own technology and, and their own to Validate our own things. Yeah. We know our prediction is not optimal. Okay. But we need it to start. Okay. We cannot wait until something is optimal to implement it because yeah. we know especially genetics very forgiving yeah we know we can already move the population in the right direction yeah so and, okay we have net merit what do you have in canada what do you lpi call lifetime profit lpi uh, your lpi okay lpi is crowded right <laughs> you got lots of trace Ooh, in lpi true. okay so you're you're going to tell this dairyman i'm going to take some weight off milk and fat and protein i'm going to put in methane and they're like Oh, yeah, I love the environment, too, Filippo. What? How, how do you put it in there? There's no space for a new trade. That's an excellent question, Matt. I love it. Uh, because there are two important points there. One is all the trades in an index, but let's park it for a moment. Let's talk about the producer buy-in here, okay? Yeah, yeah. So the average producer probably, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk in behalf of the producer, but that's just my perception. Mm -hmm. Probably right now say, but what is in it for me? What, right. What am I? What is going to happen? Is there an incentive? Am I going to, is my milk going to be paid more just because I'm doing produce less emit? I hope so. One day that will happen. It's not the case right now. Okay. We have some carbon credit uh, system in Canada, but they're not yet applicable to the dairy. We need first to quantify, right. to monitor, benchmark those farms, and then go to the government and say, hey, we have a system in place that is a little bit better than your IPCC one equation table to measure methane emission. Yeah. So we can actually tell you which farm we're doing. So maybe we could create some system. In our project, we have Environment Canada is going to be a part of, of our team exactly mm -hmm. to inform each other on this. And these are the this is the team that brings the data of inventory to the United Nations, right? To make the decision. The average producer really probably not that interested right now. Mm -hmm. But if you start telling them, hey, if you reduce methane, it's not just for the environment. It's going to be you're saving energy. And this, this has been published. Four to nine percent of energy is wasted just in the meta. Right. We can quantify that efficient, more efficient cows in the Canadian herd, which is one million right. dairy cow, right. close to one hundred million dollar per year. Okay. So that's just in savings. Right. If you put the carbon credit, there will be another three hundred fifty million dollars. Right. So this is not just for yeah i'm i'm i believe in in, in mm -hmm. social responsibility but it's not just that it's just right. the fact that there is going to be savings for the producer so if we're able to educate correctly and tell the story well i think yeah. that will work the leadership wants that because obviously the farmers of canada the farmers of america yeah. uh, saputo mm -hmm. uh, you know all the big mm -hmm. alactalists and so on they're mm -hmm. working on dairy net zero nestle mm -hmm. 
they right. have published this is thing, these things is available on their website. So they're all working on that. We just need to move. We have now early adopter. Tomorrow you're gonna hear you're gonna hear about one. George Dick is fantastic. Yeah. He's measuring methane emission. He's on farm. He's building a new bar just to seal to just measure even better. Wow. And uh, yes, biogas uh, things. Okay. So he's fantastic producer. Is is it? He represents the, all the producers. No, he's one of yeah. the early adopters. And we are, it's a classic new innovation. So can we move more and more of the average towards the early adopter? That's gonna take time. Mm-hmm. But you know, producers talk to each other, mm-hmm. and they will listen more to another producer than to Filippo. You know? Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, and that's okay. That's how it works, right? Yeah. If you're able to have this early adopter and they show the impact yeah. they, and they actually save money, they show, hey, yeah. this is very beneficial to you guys. Why don't you do as well? Yeah. So uh, going back on the trades. Genomics changed all of that because okay. we can. We have been shown already that we are making amazing progress in milk, fat, protein, and longevity and uh, metabolic, metabolism, the whole, the whole thing. Even if we have 12, 15, 20 traits and the thing, because genomics were, and we're moving, selecting any of the bit by bit are going to be good for all of this. So it's just it adding that methane, maybe three, five percent emphasis. Yeah. We are not. Uh, we have not added yet, yeah. but it's going to happen right. in the next uh, within one year. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be already important because once you put it there, it means that AI, not artificial intelligence, but artificial insemination, <laughs> will use it, and so it means that bulls are already pre-selected for that as well. Mm-hmm. So the uptake is going to be seamless and AI. Yeah, the producer can also decide: can I do a genomic test and see which heifer are better in terms of producing yeah. this meta? The early adopters will look at that. The average population will not, the average producer will not, but bit by bit, they will move the population. It's, it's so right. And, you know, that's one thing I learned about methane early on is the, it's a loss of energy when that yeah. thing goes into the air. And if, if you're not losing that energy, that energy is going into milk. That's just, that's just an ironclad argument there. That's so and highly irritable. 25 to 30 percent. Oh, stop. No way. High 25 to methane. But you know, it's based on fatty acids. These are very heritable traits. 25 we can change this so fast if we want we That's can change nuts. This so okay fast. so for everybody else what's milk care same 25 30 percent this is exactly equivalent in fact our our genomic breeding value are very reliable because heritability is huge yeah. we're going to wrap up here but i wanted to say a couple things so i think we've We've definitely done the last question. Where do you see the science going in the future? We'll just leave it at methane because it's so important. We've talked about the fact that you have a very important symposium yeah. tomorrow. Um, do you remember the title of the symposium? It's the mitigation strategies to reach dairy net zero. So a whole symposium tomorrow yeah. about that, yes. you know, with, with invited speakers, with yes. producers. Eight speakers. Eight four speakers. American, four Canadian. Good. All good. We love good. That. We love the yes. Americans and here in Canada. Producer. Or consultant, uh, yeah. industry, that's academic, government, all kinds of That's going to be packed. We need, that's going to get some. Let's people. do it. That's tomorrow at the national meeting. And the last thing I, I'll say before we close, and maybe you could just explain it to me, is that one of the things about the ADSA national meeting is the geneticists always show up. Yes. You haven't, the dairy geneticists, yes. you would never have turned your back on this meeting. All the CDC B guys are yes. here. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, yes. they're all here. And then I saw some, we got some new people showing up, oh, yeah. some younger, oh, yeah. uh, new generation, pe- yes. new generation. And what is it about the meeting that brings you dairy geneticists together? You're all always, always here. You can always know there'll be posters and you know where to find you guys. There are faithful attendees coming. We have a group of Sardinian that have been coming for 25 years to this meeting because right. they like dairy 
focused type of conference. It's because it's the quality, the fact that you get that uh, exposure, not just to the genetics part, but say, hey, there is this interesting on the station, on the on the, the milk. Yeah. And we work on data. So, you know, when I work on, on milk, spectral data, we can also do spectral data to measure fatty acid, to make some lactoferrin in milk. Yeah. So at once you start crossing in disciplines. And that's the beauty of dairy science. American Dairy Science Association, the meeting is just, Everybody works with milk. It's just mm-hmm. the, it's his own big department across university that work on the same focus, which is this fabulous yeah. food and product. So we're going to close. We have a yes. gift for you. Oh no! It's it, you know, <laughs> hopefully not it, too big. It, there it is, and you you, you open it. Can from I open this it? End. Yeah, you have to open it on camera. You have to open it on camera. These are these are so exclusive. There's not many people with these mugs. Okay. Very digressional. <laughs> First of all, fabulous organization. Oh, yeah. Second, fabulous friend. Been fantastic. We're going to close. And I knew it would be just crazy fun to talk to you. And of course, you did not let me down. It's been Dairy Digressions with our guests, me, the host, Matt Lucy, and our guest, Filippo Migliore. And thank you very much for spending time with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Mm